You're listening to Campus Review Radio. Ian, a pleasure to be here with with you, uh, not just as an alumni, but also as the Assistant Minister for Industry, Innovation and Science, to speak at this, uh, at at your day, your second uh, summit. And I applaud you for the initiative in starting it last year and continuing it this year. Uh, When I enrolled as a student at New South Wales Uni, Australia's telecommunication landscape was on the cusp of a massive transformation. Our nation's first permanent internet access was being rolled out to universities, and its geographical isolation was diminishing rapidly. With the advent of PCs, of mobile phones, it really did bring the world for the first time to our fingertips. It was an exciting time of technological marvel and change for many of us. But by the turn of the century, much of the innovation I experienced here on the, on the campus at New South Wales Uni had become obsolete. New and improved cyber technology was allowing Australians to study, workshop, socialise and entertain themselves really at the click of a button. The cyber revolution was also producing a new breed of innovators and entrepreneurs Australia-wide. And you can't talk about the internet space and be an alumni of New South Wales University without obviously mentioning Mike Cannon Brooks and Scott Farquhar being a great example. As you'll know, these two alumnus uh, started at Lassian in 2002 while they were completing their studies at uni. A little over a decade later, the company has become the most successful listing of an Australian company in the US. After floating on the NASDAQ stock exchange and securing a covered market value of $8 billion US dollars. Today, Atlassian employs over 1,000 people and counts big names like Twitter, Verizon and NASA among its clients. The two young entrepreneurs haven't stopped there, however. They continue to invest in startups, in other startups. Atlassian is just one example of the power of innovation to foster entrepreneurship, boost investment, spawn businesses, and ultimately create jobs. With examples like this, it makes good economic sense to place innovation at the centre of Australia's government, industry, and economic policy. My topic today is the government's vision for innovation in Australia. I'll look at the challenges and the opportunities of our innovation system and outline the work we are doing as a federal government to foster a culture of innovation and entrepreneurship through the National Innovation and Science Agenda. But first, let's look at the Australian economy. And we've indeed got much to be proud of. We are, it's said, often the envy of the world. We're enjoying right now our 25th year of consecutive economic growth. But while GDP has been growing steadily over those 25 years, Australia's productivity has been flat for the last eight. Average annual multi-factor productivity growth over the five years to 2014 was negative, a worse number than many of our advanced economic competitors and rivals. This is a cause for concern because productivity growth is essential to securing our prosperity and our living standards. Paul Krugman, a Nobel Nobel Prize laureate in economics, once wrote, productivity isn't everything, but in the long run, it is almost everything. A country's ability to improve its standard of living over time depends almost entirely on its ability to raise its output output per worker. So how do we turn things around? How do we ensure productivity growth in Australia into the future? 
The evidence points strongly to innovation. Innovation is a major driving force for productivity growth and a catalyst for economic prosperity. And I'm not talking about innovation only in tech startups. Innovation in existing businesses is vital. And I think during the election campaign, this message was missed. And I'd argue still being missed greatly today. And the number that I like quoting is that in the next 12 months in Australia, 60% of the productivity growth that we experience as a nation will come from productivity inside existing and operating businesses. Indeed, innovation matters to all Australians because it's about job creation, new and improved opportunities to do businesses and ways to do businesses. The OECD estimates that as much as 50% of economic growth in its member countries can be attributed to innovation activity. The evidence suggests Australian businesses that have embraced innovation are doing far better than those that haven't. If innovation is so important, how does Australia's innovation system measure up against other, uh, other countries around the world? How do we measure up internationally? Australia has a proud history of innovation, a proud record of harnessing our ingenuity to create opportunity and prosperity. We have our name permanently etched around the world in innovations such as uh, the Federation strain of wheat, penicillin, cochlear implants, Gardasil, Wi-Fi, CSIRO developed Wi-Fi in its infancy and passed it on, and many more. But we have to work to build on these achievements. Australia's current innovation performance is mixed. We rank 19th out of 128 countries, or we ranked 19th out of 128 countries, in the 2016 Global Innovation Index. This is well behind world innovation leaders like Switzerland, Ambassador, Your Excellency, welcome today, Sweden, the UK, US, Finland and Singapore. We perform very well in some areas, like the quality of research, but this is hardly surprising, and I know I'm biased speaking as an alumni of New South Wales University. We have world-class research agencies like CSIRO and universities like the Group of Eight, including University of New South Wales. They conduct uh, year-round leading-edge research. The Global Innovation Index 2016 ranks us 11th out of 141 economies on innovation inputs, including our human capital and our research. However, where we perform poorly, and it's the last word up there on that screen, the name of the title of this conference, is in collaboration and how we take innovation ideas and we commercialise them. The GII Innovation Efficiency Ratio also shows our performance in commercialising those good ideas has declined in the last six years. This takes Australia's ranking among OECD countries down from 22nd in 2010 so in, in 2010, we ranked 22nd in the world in collaborating and commercialising our research. And this year, we ranked 31st. Low levels of collaboration between businesses and researchers are a major reason Australia is not doing so well in our research translation. Australian businesses have the lowest levels of industry and research sector collaboration in the OECD. We are ranked last out of the 27 countries for both SMEs and large firms. And at the end, I'll talk to you for a tick about SMEs, according, that is, to the most recent data. But it's not all doom and gloom. Many research institutions and businesses have been working to lift their game. And I'd like to applaud uh, Vice-Chancellor of the University of New South Wales for being amongst them. 
I know many of your faculties have, have established faculty advisory councils to provide those links to industry and ensure your research is industry relevant. Business is also recognising the benefits of those links. For example, Boeing Australia recently announced it's going to embed 30 of its staff in the University of Queensland St Lucia campus. This collaboration will ensure research projects ranging from cabin disease transmission to bioterrorism. Businesses are ultimately responsible for their own success and must take the initiative to pursue the innovation path. That'll help them stay competitive, but there is a role for government. And that is to create a favourable environment in which business can grow and succeed through measures such as red tape reduction and tax reform. Policy that helps create a strong innovation ecosystem. It's, it, it's vital. It's a vital role that government plays given the benefits that we've already outlined that the innovation provides to our national economy. That's what the National Innovation Science Agenda is all about. We're actually a week away from, uh, from ha having launched it 12 months ago. And I dare say in one year, uh, predominantly due to the Prime Minister using the term pretty much every time he stands to his feet, there is a greater awareness now about innovation in the Australian economy than there has ever been. And I'm sure uh, you've gone through the document with a fine tooth comb. Uh, so I'm not going to outline the $1.1 billion of measures that are contained within it. However, the four pillars I think are very important to reinforce. One, to foster a culture of innovation and entrepreneurship. Two, boost industry to research collaboration. Three, develop and attract world-class talent and skills. And finally, to ensure that we as a government lead by example. We've made our vision clear in how we pursue this agenda. And we want to make Australia a leading innovation nation. We want to encourage Australians to embrace risk, pursue ideas and learn from mistakes, get investors to back them and their ideas. And we want to derive greater benefits from publicly funded research. We know science and research is integral to the high-performing innovation system. That's why we've allocated more than half of the $1.1 contained in the National Innovation and Science Agenda to it, to supporting science. It also explains why we've committed $2.3 billion over the next 10 years supporting scientific research infrastructure. NISA 1.0, the first wave, launched next week 12 months ago. These, these measures are obviously well and truly in train. New tax arrangements to encourage investment startups, early stage venture capital partnerships, they came into force in July. Uh, the government's $25 million investment in the Centre for Excellence and Quantum Computing, which Ian mentioned, that's been backed by $10 million from each the Commonwealth Bank and Telstra. And he's right, we do sit, albeit narrowly, at the front of the queue when it comes to quantum computing. In August, Minister Hunt launched the Biomedical Translation Fund, a $500 million, and this is an unusual word in government, four or two words, for-profit fund, a for-profit venture capital fund. The fund targets investment in companies with projects at advanced preclinical and phase one and phase two trials and stages of development. The government is committed to helping Australian businesses, entrepreneurs and institutions compete at the international level. I'm encouraged by UNSW's aspiration over the next decade to become Australia's global 
University, as again mentioned by Ian, a global leader in research and innovation. And I, in an increasingly globalised world, we can't afford to be complacent. That's why it's so important. We need to be able to think quickly, solve problems and have new ideas. I think the New South Wales uh, Uni slogan, never stand still, absolutely encapsulates this. Many initiatives under our National Innovation and Science Agenda are directly targeted at enhancing Australia's global competitiveness say, through innovation. The government is increasing links with key economies to enable Australia to improve its research, its commercialisation and its business performance, as well as accessing global supply chains in a global market. Our $36 million global innovation strategy is doing exactly that, supporting businesses and researchers to collaborate with their global counterparts on research. Australian landing pads are already operating in San Francisco, Tel Aviv, Shanghai, Singapore and Berlin as a part of this strategy. They're helping our startups get immersed in an environment that will hasten the design and development of their products or their business model. Businesses and researchers are also likely to apply for various grants under the Global Innovation Linkage Programs, as well as the Global Connections Fund, to help them collaborate with their international partners. Through these collaborations, Australia can improve its entrepreneur, entrepreneurial, that's also hard to say, and research performance, develop and commercialise products, processes and ideas, and gain global competitive advantage. Last week, the government announced grants totalling $7.6 million to help 22 Australian businesses do exactly that, develop and commercialise innovative ideas. The grants provided under our Entrepreneurs Program will support projects for innovations ranging from 3D laser eyes for self-driving cars to solar-powered refrigeration equipment designed for, for use in remote areas. But what's coming next for us? Future, what, what, what's it look like? NESA 2.0, NESA 3.0, which are all on our agenda right now. We have a fair income commitment to innovation. We'll be pursuing further ways through the National Innovation and Science Agenda. The second wave will focus on encouraging private sector investment in business, businesses that have growth potential, driving productivity through digital transformation and investing in our science and our research infrastructure. NISA 3.0, something the Prime Minister has tasked me with. It'll work on ways that we can reduce red tape and deregulation by having a digital transformation in the way that government and business interact, something that I think, coming from a private sector background, is so long overdue. I've got a business background. I had 23 years of dealing with all three levels of, of government in this country prior to politics, and I can tell you firsthand, this is a must if we are to enable productivity and unleash innovation into the future. A culture of innovation is critical to Australia's competitiveness and economic prosperity, and we must strengthen our innovation system to support a strong innovation culture. The leading edge research undertaken here in Australian universities and research institutions is vital for that ecosystem. We can strengthen the system further if our researchers and industry work more closely together. I'm going to depart from my speech here told you I would, and this is where my advisors normally worry. This is the point I really wanted to drill home today. I come, I just said it, I come from a family business background. It was a successful, I'm lucky, it was a successful family business, and I will go back to that after I leave politics. One of my major reasons for entering politics is that we do not have enough business understanding in government. 
especially in the small and medium-sized business space. I want to challenge you today. I am endeavouring to get my head around. I spoke at a conference two weeks ago entitled Science Meets Business. I think the title was back to front and I said it at the time. How do we get business to meet science? The profile of SMEs in this country, there are three major problems. One, they don't know about you. Two, they're too busy working on their own business to find you. And three, they don't have the resources to solve the problems they face every day. I was recently at a launch pad, the Tasmanian government or minister responsible asked me to, in Launceston, to go and have a look. And I walked into a room and right next to this launch pad was a uh, hairdresser that I noticed as I walked in. Uh, and I sat there, there would have been 20 young uh, men and women punching away on keyboards. And in a lot of ways, I said this earlier, the innovation debate and, and has, has been hijacked in a, in a lot of ways by the tech startup space, in my humble opinion. And I sat and I listened to the minister, the Tasmanian minister, talk to the students, listened to the students talk to us. And at the end, the, the minister said, do you want to say something? I said, yes. I said, next door to you is a hairdresser. Inside the head of that hairdresser are probably multiple problems that they face on a daily basis, which technology could help them overcome. Inside the head of every small and medium-sized business operator in this country are problems they confront daily that technology and innovation could help them overcome. And from that, our uh, PhDs, our masters, our honours students, if we can interface them to those businesses, potentially have not only a solution to the problem, but a business in and of itself spinning off the back of the solution to that problem. I am very keen, and I am an open door to anyone in this room at any stage, on building the bridge from business to our research institutions. It is a bridge that is currently missing. I need your help. If you've got ideas, I do not have a mortgage on good ideas. If you have got ideas, I want to hear them because we are actively, uh, we have identified it as a problem. We have identified it, as Ian said right at the start, as low hanging fruit, if you like, if we can get these four words happening. Participation, engagement, networking and collaboration. And I mentioned in my speech, the stats for us collaborating in this country are just poor. We rank second last or last in the OECD in, in, in collaboration. That's where it falls over. That's the missing piece of the puzzle here. So I wanted to throw that at you. I like challenging people. I wanted to throw that at you as I leave you today. Ian, I thank you again for the opportunity to come and open the conference. I wish all of you uh, good luck today in fostering your ideas. For any of you that, uh, that are interested in talking with me further, uh, Ian knows how to find me. He's got my card. Please send me an email, link up. If you're doing things in the front lines that you think are working, I'm going to see Ian at my old campus in February to have a look at things that he's doing and the uni are doing please let me know. But I wish you all very good luck today. For those of you that have travelled, I wish you safe onward journey home, and I hope you have a productive day and a lovely weekend. Thank you.